0: Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me
1: Welcome to The Grid, sponsored by PokerStars
0: Yeah, I got swagger They see me, see me strutting All sweating daggers Believe it, I'm the real thing But I gotta switch it on
1: Hello everyone and welcome back I am super excited to talk to my friend The amazing, the brilliant Yenja Wintersall Now, I am a little embarrassed because I think We've been friends now for a couple of years, partly online on the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I was mispronouncing your name for like a year and a
0: half. I thought it was Jenga.
1: <laughs> right? Oh, which is crazy because that's like a a game that I play with my son and it would be the exact opposite of how your name is written.
0: I usually say it's like yen-ja, like yen like Japanese money and ja like ja rule, no affiliation. Or I say yen like ninja but yen and then if people want to run with that or if they want to mispronounce it, that's like up to them.
1: Once you remember something incorrectly and it sticks in your ring, how do you get it out?
0: Oh, that one is hard. So the brain is so interesting because it's like, if you see it visually, a lot of people who only know me online say yanja, which is really frustrating. Mm. I'm more okay with yanja because it's, it's more of like an open A. Um, but what happens is like once you start like going through those paths, those neurological paths in your brain, it becomes like the road most taken. So you start if you say yanja in your head a bunch of times and then you meet me for the first time after six months of you saying yanja in your head, then it's gonna be really hard to revert that. So it's really hard. I guess the most important thing is that you just like actually get it right and you write it down visually the way you hear it. Because our visual memories are usually much, much stronger than auditory memories, so that's one way I, did, I do it with quote-unquote differently pronounced names.
1: Bad memories, not things that happened to you that were bad, although mispronouncing somebody's name on stage can be a very embarrassing yeah. memory, yeah. but memories where you incorrectly remembered something, it's really good to actually write it down. Yeah,
0: and yeah. also if you incorrectly remember it, like the emotional context of like, the emotional weight of doing it wrong and then having it corrected it actually does make you like put in more of an effort to remember it better the next time so i'm sure like in six years you'll say it right all the time just because this happened for the first year of our friendship i'm good now Okay, I know, you're good now. yeah i'm okay. good, okay, I'm good. Okay, i'll okay. always think
1: of you a little bit when i see that jenga game, jenga game. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no no as long as you're not thinking of ja Rule when you see me so that's fine
1: Now, it's really interesting that you say visual memory is
0: better for most people than auditory memory. Are there exceptions to that? Right. So sometimes I've talked about, like, you know, some people are kinesthetic rememberers. People are good at, like, what they feel. People are better about what they see. There's this idea that some of us are better at listening and learning and some of us are better at reading and learning. But the truth is that most of us are better at visual memory and what usually happens is when people think that they're a really good auditory learner maybe it's that they have some other neurological thing going on where they need to be actively doing something else while they're listening but most research points to the fact that like visual memory is one of the strongest memories I think the only thing that can really go beyond visual is uh, olfactory meaning smell but that's it's really hard to memorize anything like explicit like facts about the world through just olfactory memory.
1: Are there not enough distinct smells is that why?
0: I think we don't name it as much and it's also really hard to recreate smell but visual memory you can recreate faster so just for the world that we are in right now olfactory isn't that important but you know what I mean like if somebody is wearing the cologne of like somebody you had an intimate relationship with suddenly if if the, a person with the same cologne walks past you even if you haven't thought of them in 20 years you're going to like have all these memories rushing through your mind so i think like olfactory is very very personal in that way that like it can bring back so many more memories faster than any of the other senses But for the purposes of learning and studying in school and working etc like you should work with your visual memory as much as possible one of the
1: things i heard about people who damage parts of their short-term memory is that if they learn through song
0: oh interesting yeah
1: that, that is really powerful and you see sometimes children also of course memorize things more quickly by a song like the the famous ABC song.
0: Yeah, yeah, so that like actually takes into account like more parts of our brain and I think the way we do it we kind of learn how to only use rote memory in school. So then when we factor in song, it's more creative and it's more fun and it's using like the more natural way that our brains take to learning whereas like when it's just like a list of facts, it's harder to learn. This is where we're going to get into
1: your bread and butter, your passion for creative (laughs) memory, right? Yeah. So this is a concept that you introduced me to. Yeah. Um, I might've heard it in passing before, but this idea that the way that we memorize things in school is really foreign to the more effective ways of memorizing.
0: I wouldn't say it's my passion. I just think it's like way easier to go through school and as somebody who's not very motivated to study, it was very mind blowing when I learned about it. I don't know if like studying is my passion, but I definitely am passionate about doing things a little faster than normal, especially something as boring as school. But yeah, like when I was in business school, so I struggled through most of middle school and high school. I almost didn't graduate either. And then I went to uni for business and I found this book about creative memory, which is basically about instead of like repeating something over and over again or having to sing it in a rhyme or writing copious notes or like really listening when the lecturer is speaking to you like all these like classic study advice it was more about making whatever is boring into something that you are personally interested in and using that visual space as well as like fun little mind games and like visual memory and that was that was kind of mind-blowing and then i graduated two years faster than normal for business school and also became really good at being a memory champion. Well, you were a world champion. I broke a bunch of world records, as far as I can remember, like world records, national records, Uh, one of the few people who is an international grandmaster. So it went pretty well once I learned about creative memory. There's 22
1: world memory grandmasters, according to Wikipedia, and so you're one
0: of them. International grandmasters, I think grandmasters have to do something. S- more simple not to throw shade on anyone international grandmaster not just grandmaster okay of course i come from chess where yeah I know. they're actually synonymous i don't remember the
1: granularity
0: of like what is the distinction i just know that there are fewer international grandmasters than grandmasters
1: and that book by the way is moonwalking with einstein which was a bestseller at the time
0: yeah and that's one the thing book I, that introduced me to creative memory yeah
1: i mean one thing i really like about you is when you really like a book like you dive in and actually try to extract things from it
0: i think like nowadays we're so confused because we're consuming like gigabytes and gigabytes of information so we're just like oh well i read this book because i read it but i don't know if that's necessarily true like i feel like when you engage with it to know the author or like you do the things that are recommended in the book it's like a completely different experience because you're embedding that memory and making it real instead of just having like this surface level knowledge a lot of people are confused about consuming information versus learning a lot of students my memory students will say well well i read it and i just don't remember it and i'm like well consuming it is very different from recalling it and same with books like i if i really like a book and it really has some solid advice and it really has a world that i want to enter into like poker (laughs) with maria konikova's book it's like yeah like i want to make that more of an embedded memory instead of like an experience i had over a weekend on my couch reading theoretically about a bunch of information and things that happened
1: yeah and i think that
0: ties into this kind of
1: checklist mentality that you know at the end of the year we should read this many books
0: yeah i feel like that's as arbitrary as like at the end of the year i want to have this many meals like it like it doesn't or like i want to have this many dates like is it the breadth of the amount is it the quantity of the relationships you had or is it that you want to have one deep relationship And that's not to say like, just because you read a book and you don't remember any of it, it's still a part of you. It still actually leaves something with you even if you can't consciously remember it. Just like food you can't remember eating affects your calories and affects the nutrition that's going into your body. So even if you don't remember it, it's still an experience. But I think if you engage with it and you do something actionable with it, it's a completely different reading experience.
1: Although actually it is hard for me to get away from the checklist mentality. It's everywhere. Yeah. And also because you, I have so many friends who've written books and I have Mm. so many books of people that I admire. so there is a sense that you want to check them all off but that kind of counters with this idea of a deeper relationship with a book which and of course you can do both but yeah yeah. there is sometimes limited time The way that you excavate a book is like really inspiring oh
0: nice thank you yeah no i think there's definitely books that i'm just like okay well it's a part of me even if i don't remember so much of it two years from now i still like consumed that book so to speak and things will stay with me even if only subconsciously you know so you mentioned maria
1: kanakova's book the biggest bluff which is a great entryway into
0: <laughs> the your, gateway drug
1: to poker <laughs> yes oh well, i love that yeah you're series of poker experience oh as my god you did play your first wsop ever my this first year tournament yeah and you played in the ladies event yes. and we hung out there and I got a chance to to give you some tips and to kind of see you in action.
0: (laughs) Do you remember what I asked you when you asked about what tips you want to give me? Um. You were just like, what kind of advice do you (laughs) need? And you were like, so you're under the gun, what do you do? You were saying like the stack size and like you're under the gun and like the person before under the gun has done this, now what do you do? (laughs) And I think (laughs) I asked you, is under the gun before the button? (laughs) So like the amount of advice you were able to give me like like, I feel like it was more, like, mental stuff about uh, just, like, re- remember to do this with your chips. It wasn't as much, like, what I did last year, which was more, like, trainers and more theory, and then I forgot all of it, so. But it was a fun experience. I'm very glad I had it, thanks to Anonymous Donor. Yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you to our Anonymous
1: Donor. I mean, we had so many amazing people actually show up this year yeah. for women and the World Series of Poker and, like, put... Um, Women who might not normally be able to afford it, or who would maybe just be more incentivized to go out there, like yourself, Mm -hmm. into events—really, really really cool. I kind of like Nadia Magnus kind of started the trend, and there's all these women's organizations like Poker Power, and I'm on the board of that, and got so many great great orgs that were like let's get more women into these tournaments and look how it's paid off because women are totally crushing this year <laughs> oh,
0: i did not crush it i was still like is under the gun before the button or after or like technically i guess everything is before everything else in some ways because it's like it, yeah you know, it goes around the table exactly <laughs> but yeah
1: it's all it's all one circle i mean it is a circle it is a circle
0: yeah yeah i i guess next wsop i i'm gonna learn like at least what the what the different seats are called or positions are called.
1: You did seem to kind of like progress as the event went on so you played in in a warm-up event at the aria and then you played in the wsop ladies like what was your your first impressions and what was the first thing that like kind of surprised you about actually playing live poker in the setting
0: oh my god my first impression was like i can't believe people still smoke this much in 2022 honestly i was so disgusted i kept calling the lobby like i need to switch rooms and i think i switched like four times until the receptionist was like honey they all smell like this this is is (laughs) vegas and i was like well you could have told me that before i was like carrying my luggage around for like like 45 minutes into different rooms so that was my first impression i guess my second impression was just like it's so much slower than online because you know last year i was talking to like professionals who wanted me to do this like professionally and memorize all these charts since like that's not too hard for me and then instead like i i got a job as a software developer and so i didn't do any poker and i even forgot all of the names of the positions and that's all right i can i know i can memorize it again but it was more like how slow it was and how much of it was just sitting <laughs> i'm not i like i like sitting but i'm also like a very physical person so it was very shocking to me how much sitting there was there was also a lot of like tacit physical rules that i didn't know so like for example i kept my seat number like the little uh placard that has like your seat number and like your position etc or your table number and your seat number right And so I put it in my pocket and then I remember you came to me during the break and I like started putting all my chips in my pocket as well or I was about to and you told me like you can't do that I like ran I was like no no, please don't do that and there were so many rules like that where people were like why are you trying to take the seat numbers like so I know where I sit (laughs) like it was so many things like that really shocked me because playing even for play money online it's just so much faster the decisions you have to make in like three seconds or the machine starts yelling at you I think for both the warm-up event and for the ladies event everyone was so patient because I wanted to take Copi's notes of like how I was doing emotionally and do I even understand what's going on in this situation etc so at first there was a dealer who was very frustrated with how I was taking my time with like obvious folds like you could tell in my body language and my face that it was an obvious fold but I was still trying to do like the math The implicit math that I remember from last year, that was very, very different. Is like I noticed that people are way nicer in person, at least for me, at least for the ladies event than than they've been online where like people say the wildest things uh, in the chat box.
1: You also had some friends already, like online
0: friends from oh, yeah. Poker Power, like you already knew Shuan. It was very cool seeing all these people that I've only known from like liking their jokes on Twitter. It was very shocking to me how beautiful Shuan is in person. I was just like, I can't talk to her, I'm going to walk away. That was like one of my biggest takeaways from the first World Series. But I don't think you actually played with her, did you? No, I didn't play with her. Okay. No, I, I played with a lot of people that... Um, like, are famous within the poker community, and I did not know it, because I, like, there were several people at each table I was playing at that were people just, like, ran up and, like, wanted to take pictures. There was, like, a guy that was filming, like, every hand that one of the women at my table was playing, and I think it's because I've only known people through their Twitter handles, and, like, through podcasts that like i could not recognize any one of them i think that's actually
1: really good you know when i started playing poker more seriously i got into it from my brother Mm -hmm. and one of the tips he gave me which was so powerful but so hard to actually follow Mm -hmm. was he said just don't get intimidated by people it doesn't matter because at the end of the day you're playing such a small number of hands against these people yeah no matter how beastly they are you just battle you play poker and sometimes I think the worst situation is like somebody who's a big fan of poker oh. um, and they've been studying a little bit. Yeah. But then they are easily intimidated. Yeah. It's almost better to like if you're studying that much it's good to be over the hump and feel confident or to just not know who the heck anyone is. Yeah. I think that the middle area is actually a really dangerous place to be and oh. where you like recognize everyone and you're like, "Oh, that person, that person, that person" because poker is a game of the moment of yeah. battling, of being in the present and getting all up in your head and being like, oh, I'm playing against, you know, such and such. Juan or Melanie or like yeah. all these. Of course, those are people you would recognize, but like even people whose names you might have heard but you might not recognize them, like just yeah,
0: knowing like, that. So much. I was like, oh. Knowing that
1: is just like, you usually tell how good somebody is by the way they handle their chips and their bet sizing.
0: Oh, interesting. A lot
1: of times you can tell that, but yeah. it's still different than being, like, intimidated. Yeah. You know? And I think that's where it should be. It should be like, oh, this person plays a lot of poker. I can yeah. tell. Yeah, That's, like, information, not, like, an emotional thing. Like, mm. oh, my God, this person plays a lot of
0: poker. I guess having only played one tournament, I don't know how it's going to pan out in the future. But I definitely know that, like, I've never been too intimidated by anyone in my life. One time, a billionaire person asked me out who's made one of the biggest apps and i was just like oh okay cool and like in my head i was just like oh he's cute i think that definitely helps to like see your favorite like movie star and just be like oh okay fine she's sitting at my table or whatever it is hopefully that continues on for the rest of my life i feel like every year i'm like less impressed by anything other than like how kind people are oh
1: i love that couldn't agree more and i really think that the pandemic helped me really getting over that i mean of course it was horrible so many people yeah. died so i'm not gonna say there was any silver linings but i will say that just like understanding that like moral courage and kindness mm-hmm. and obviously doing concrete shit to make things better yeah. for people yeah it just really changed my mind like i can't imagine just being like oh wow you're just great because you're really good at sports or so you really made yeah. a lot of money on an
0: app I do get carried away sometimes, but like at the end of the day, like after like hanging out for four hours, you sh- like it doesn't matter who you are. It's kind of like, are you kind enough relative to like the power that you have in the room? That one I find yeah. there's a difference between being just kind because you're trying to please everyone and being kind even though you're in a position of power. I feel like that's been very hard to learn because I- I'm I consider myself a very kind person. I don't know if it's true, but. I think sometimes because being an Asian woman and like looking sometimes according to some people like an anime character because I look so kind. I think people interpret it as like weakness that like I'm trying to be like a kiss ass or trying to be like friendly because I want to be on everybody's good side. But it's more like I don't I don't want anything. Like if I want something, I will tell you like, Jet, I want to be in the World Series of Poker or like I want you to introduce me to such and such. But it, do you know what I mean? Like it's kindness can kind of be misinterpreted if it's from somebody you like deem as not like high status as like a weakness and like and things like that
1: absolutely i mean especially when it comes to poker one of the things that i think a lot of women struggle with in poker is the fact that we are socialized to be kind and considerate and always Mm. thinking about other people Mm. and that (laughs) in poker we have to use those skills and kind of flip them and you know try to extract as much value from the game as possible and that's okay because it's a conceit of the game
0: Mm. actually come to think of it i think that was what was most shocking is not only that i a little bit before the pandemic did get get carried away with like this person is this important person and this person made money off an app and like all this stuff When I went on that date, I was not in that mindset. I was just like, he's cute. (laughs) But like, I did get carried away and I did lose my values. And what I noticed during the latest event is also like, I have become more socialized, especially being in the United States uh, during most of my 20s. Like I've been more socialized because there's been more social punishment because I am not always the kindest person in a competitive environment. That was very hard like i i was i was just like folding so much i was overfolding. i wasn't bluffing enough i didn't want to make anyone upset and like all of these like things that at least when i was good at memory like i just did not give a shit like and i was like that when i was a kid as well and that was really really heartbreaking for me to realize is like how many times i've been punished to kind of know my place in the past five or six years that I like now play like a different person and I am a different person probably. And like over the summer I I was on the Mongolian steppe because that's where I'm from, Um, super cool place, highly recommend everyone to go to Mongolia. And I was hanging out with my uncles and everybody's talking about like, "I'm they killed a bear in self defense and like the times they've seen wolves and what do you do in that situation and like all this very like machismo stuff. And I just realized I've been socialized and like raised very much like as a boy. And so it was very, like, heartbreaking in some ways to, like... And and when I found my stride in memory, it was because, like, I I was playing the kind of gendered, you know, role of, like, a young girl, an ingenue, you know? But I was also, like, very fearless and very specific in memory and how I tackled that. And then to play poker and just be so not myself and play in a specific way, it was very difficult for me because I, I usually am pretty good in most sports to tap into people's weaknesses and strengths and really use that against them if it is like a one-on-one, one-v-one situation or like even a group sport. But I noticed that I didn't have that at all. I was just like there to make friends or I just wanted to play to be there as long as possible and that was like very hard. But hanging out with my uncles and my brothers and all the people who raised me i i i'm i feel like i'm getting back into it like how i used to be
1: people can be a lot of different people at one time poker taps into that so i feel like maybe you're being hard on yourself because <laughs> there are a lot of awesome people maybe you just need to play in events where there's not as many cool people so like ladies events there's especially some of the tables you got i think there's a lot of great people and mm. like yeah you wanted to sit there and hang out and kind of like also you didn't know as much about like the live poker scene and i'm gonna tell you what no matter what gender it is everybody plays a bit passively when they don't know what's going on yeah that is the instinct yeah to kind of because listen if you if you've got a skill edge then you want to treat poker as a skill game yeah if you are kind of new and you don't know exactly what's going on in certain (laughs) situations you want to make it a matching game yeah and a matching game means you want to like just call and like see what happens and try to match yeah And this is true, I think, for men and women. Yeah. Like you see that when people are starting out, they want to match. And you see this even in poker pros when there's like some kind of new game that people don't Mm. know yet. They'll start calling and being less aggressive because they're trying to figure out the rules. Yeah. And it's easier to figure out the rules if you're in a lot of hands. And it's cheaper to be in a hand by calling. So you can see how like the logic of why people like treat poker as a matching game if they're like new to the game or new to a specific game type.
0: I think also I talked to some women who went really deep in the main event and did not do as well in the ladies and they were talking about like how they for whatever reason they do better in the co ed events. And I definitely feel like there's something there where like because I was raised with mostly men and like most of my friends growing up were men and all this stuff and just because of socialization I do feel like there's something about like wanting more female acceptance that like even if I were to actually care about poker and like Get into it and memorize all the pre-flop charts, etc. That I would still, based on what I heard from the people who are more neurologically similar to me, I feel like I would do better in a co-ed situation, just like I did with memory. I see what you mean. Even <laughs> for me, when I was playing the ladies'
1: event, I was just so kind of absorbed by seeing all these people that mm. many times I haven't seen in three years. Oh. I and mean, there's that social element. So like, whereas in the co-ed events, there's a little less of that for me. So mm. it's like easier to just like zone in and try to crush people. Mm. But, you know, the first chapter of Chess Queens is about playing like a girl because I feel like this is something female mental athletes have to deal with. is Mm. like, negotiating, like, trying to be as aggressive as possible with, like, Mm. this societally acceptable version of, you know, being female that we put on. And, like, merging those two is so appealing to the media. Yeah. Which is what we saw with, like, Beth Harmon and The Queen's Gambit. Like, the perfect like animal at the
0: board. I also I knew a man must have written that book. Like immediately I was like there's no being a woman in a co-ed sport, it's like there's no way everything was so nice and she like outperformed those two dudes in the first like few episodes like she surpassed them within a few weeks and then they're like on her team giving her advice that's some bullshit like that would never happen in real life and also like another thing i learned from poker is definitely like that the poker community so far have been far more welcoming than memory ever was but i think it's also because currently i'm not a threat to anyone so it's easier to be nice to someone who doesn't threaten your livelihood or your very scarcity mindset. And I love the poker community, but also they are
1: very good at deception. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's like the one thing about poker. Like there's so many amazing people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And some of those people are amazing on the surface, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get close to them. Yeah. but they're really good at kind of like just kind of keeping that open so that they have as many opportunities as possible. And that's not a bad thing. I think no. it's like a very kind of
0: like L.A. Like, who doesn't want to be friends with the person who can teach you how to memorize all the pre <laughs> There
1: we go. Well, let's talk now. Let's move to your hand because this is the grid. Oh, my God. And we got the 169 possible combos. And you told me that you're going to take a really, really good one. <laughs> and by yes, by a good one, I mean a bad one, of course. 8-3 offsuit.
0: Yes. The way the story's gonna go is gonna be very um, tricky. So, for some context, I fly into Vegas after doing like three hackathons in a row. I've shot a TV show in Sweden for a couple of days. I'm still doing my day job as a software engineer. Like, it's been a lot. Like, I'm flying every other day, six hours uh, minimum. So I'm very tired fatigue is really really bad for your memory when people ask me like how do i improve my memory in one way should i take your course should i learn how to do a memory pause i always say like you're probably not sleeping enough like they'll tell me about the memory lapses they have and i'm just like sleep is so so important like i can't emphasize it like sleep is so important to memory that i want to make a separate course about just sleep (laughs) like how to perfect your sleep so i'm very sleep deprived when i get here and this affects the hand (laughs) so i'm in the big blind Everybody's folded, it comes to the small blind. Small blind accidentally goes, I think raises to like one third of whatever she has. She puts in one third of her chips, right? You think it was accidental? I know it's accidental because it comes to me and then I start like thinking about what to do and then she says oh no i sorry i just meant to call ah. so this is the task of thing. so she she's a super seasoned poker player and then she's like oh shit and i'm like well that that's not great so i'm looking and i look at my notes because i've been taking note, copious notes and i see that i have ace queen offsuit according to my notes so i call like one-third of her you wrote down the hand after yeah, you got it out i wrote i wrote down the hand after as soon as i saw my hand okay ace queen I said that's like pretty good big blind she like called way more than she expected to and so i can just call so i just call even though she said oh shit, i should probably do something more like yeah like or like three Bet her because at this point I have more chips than her. Yes. Like a, something like that. I don't do that.
1: <laughs> That's a good start. I feel like the aggressive option crosses your mind and then you take the passive route. Yes. But that is the first step. Yes. And then the, the key is not to get in the habit where you always choose the passive line. To yes. so always have that eye. The flop is 257 rainbow. So the flop is 257 rainbow and uh-huh. she bets, probably. She bets. She yeah, bets.
0: Okay. Your so, min raise I'm min raise yeah. So she calls, and then the turn is queen.
1: The turn is a queen, and she makes it like a third of the pot, maybe
0: something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's it says thirty six hundred. I have no idea what it is in this situation. (laughs) I see. Yeah, and because it's a queen, and I think I have ace queen, Mm -hmm. so I'm like, okay, whatever. She accidentally did like Mm -hmm. what thirty six hundred chips, whatever that is. So I just go all in, and she folds, and I'm like, yay, very good, very good. Then I look at my notes again, and I see that I, I didn't actually have ace-queen suited, I ha- or ace-queen offsuit, I have 8-3 offsuit. And it's because I've been reading, I look at my cards, that's what happens, I look at my cards and then I look at my note, and I notice that I've been like taking the note in the wrong row, so I've been filling out a hand that I already like played. And then I saw a tweet by Barry Greenstein, I think, and he's talking about like getting older and how his memory isn't what it used to be, so he sometimes plays hands that is actually the previous hand, but I was doing that. <laughs> like, I was playing the previous hand as if it was the current hand, and then I was just like, well, that, well we just got away with something, and then I wrote down heart rate 116 beats per minute. <laughs> I mean, like, not during the hand, like, during the hand, it's probably, like, almost resting because I'm just, like, whatever, like, I've got this, you know? But then after, when I realize like, what I did, it goes up to 116 in, like, a couple of seconds. Oh my gosh. And several times after that, especially when I started going deeper and deeper, I kept playing, like, hands without, like, double-checking what I actually had because I'm still, like, so unused to the cards that I'm constantly worried I'm, like, flashing somebody, Mm -hmm. like, showing my cards so then that happened and then like later when we had like a break and stuff i like i felt so bad because like i took most of her chips on like absolutely nothing and not even because i was smart and aggressive but because i just like as a memory champion had a lapse in memory and like was so sleep deprived that i was just playing it this weird way that made no sense and like if anyone saw it they'd just be like what are you doing and that was like a really big lesson for me is like you need to sleep more like it's it's because Barry Greenstein was talking about like getting older and like memory issues, but like you can have the same kind of memory issues like as a young person if you aren't sleeping enough or you're intoxicated or whatever it is
1: that's a great hand and also (laughs) i think it's another example where you have to prioritize because it it hits me that you said you don't like double checking your hand because you're afraid you're going to flash people i think like that's something that it's good to get over yeah yeah. because it's way more important to know what you
0: have i know i know I, i think i was just like so confident in that i was and it was also the fact that i was like writing in shorthand in my notebook because i was writing in like my own like kind of memory system so that people wouldn't peek because a lot of women kept peeking once i started having a higher a bigger chip stack. And so then I started writing a shorthand, but the shorthand was so short that even I got confused. For me it was just like a lesson in how important it is that I follow my own advice and like don't do like three hackathons and like TV shoots and your regular job and then fly to Vegas. Like you're gonna be super tired. But sometimes it's inevitable,
1: especially for poker professionals, because they might, for instance, get themselves in a game where they're going to be sleep deprived because the game is so good yeah. and then they have to play a tournament the next day. Yeah. So for them, it's better than not working at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you do? I guess for me it's like you need to learn how to breathe properly. There's a lot of breathing exercises that can get access to those parts of your brain that have more to do with memory. There's a lot of like protocols to follow, like Wim Hof has some, Andrew Huberman has some. Like. There's a lot of like different like energy, energy level upping techniques, breathing techniques. But the main thing I usually say is if you can afford it, if you can do it, if you have the time. If you have the resources, try to come like one day before your event. So that's a, another thing with sleep is if you show up at an event and you've only slept there like the night before in that city, your brain is half on guard throughout the night when you're sleeping because it's a new sleep environment so it's kind of like doing like the night watch subconsciously even if you can't tell it will impact your performance so i usually say try to come like two days before and sleep in that one bed in that city like at least two nights in a row and then the other thing is yeah if you can perfect your sleep in general or not perfect but optimize it as much as possible i think that's very helpful because then you generally have a better sleep pattern and I think what's tricky is you just have to have like a better batting average like with anything you know like your your worst mm-hmm. game needs to be like pretty high in order for you to be sleep deprived and still play well like you can't be like me and like not know any of the positions and still play a 3 offsuit the way i did
1: i love that it ended up being this fantastic bluff and i think it's like kind of cool because of course, blocking is one of the things that's really difficult for a lot of people, especially mm. if they're playing like a higher stakes event. Mm. So it's cool to know that you pulled the trigger inadvertently and it got through, and that mm. is that like that should give you the courage um, to know that you can do it. Yeah. And I uh, I have a couple of things I wanted to pin in on the sleep though. Mm-hmm. One is far from being an expert, I do feel like I have a pretty good relationship with sleep lately, mm. and I think that it's something where. You know, positivity is really important. Mm. You want, like, if sleep is like a character in your life, mm. you want to have, if you can, like positive feelings about it. Yeah. Like, I, I'm good at this. Yeah. I, like, even if you're not, like, yeah. try to focus on the times that you are good. Yeah. Because confidence, like, is so important. I think, like, once people start saying, talking shit about themselves and their ability to sleep.
0: Yeah. It's Same with poker Same with memory. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the people who say their memories are bad, usually I can find the few things that they're very interested in and, like, try to convert all the things that they have a hard time with to into the things that they're interested in. And then suddenly they're really, really good at memory. And same thing with school kids. Like, I think I did poorly in school because it wasn't suited to my brain. But once I learned creative memory, it was, like, a lot of the time it's more just, like, how do you make things work for your own brain? and And you have to be positive about the things that you do do well. Because, like... And I think I even had, like, a Twitter discussion about this with Schwan, about, like, do you focus on your weaknesses or your strengths? I think it is about, like, you should really focus on your strengths, especially in the beginning when you need to build up that confidence. And then you can start plugging those leaks.
1: I think working on them simultaneously, but, like, yeah, the that, that adage that you shouldn't work on your strengths, I think it's, like,
0: so outdated.
1: And it's beautiful to see people kind of, like, coming yeah. to that. like. Josh Whiteskin, th- th- we were talking about him in his yeah. book, The Art of Learning. That was one of my main takeaways from that, that he had a trainer mm-hmm. when he was younger that would always work on his weaknesses. And I, I worked mm-hmm. once with that same trainer. Oh, And then it kind of like... How
0: did
1: it go? Well, it kind of squelched a little bit his passion for the game. What about you? I, I think the same actually it's i, agree, I completely bit. agree with him yeah mm. i i think this is fantastic advice like yeah. it is good to work on your weaknesses but there should always be that ratio mm. where you're also working on like what are you great at yeah because then your passion for the game is getting reinforced mm-hmm. and your confidence is built yeah so you i think it's just like a who wants motionless. to
0: work on what they suck at
1: <laughs> yeah you gotta do it at some
0: point yeah you gotta do it at some point, but especially like as a kid or if you're new to a space you want to focus on what you're good at and like I find it so hard with people from certain like schooling cultures they they find it so hard to learn creative memory because they haven't been taught to be creative or to just have whatever thought like first thing that pops into your head even if it's not politically correct or something you don't want to share with the class like a lot of people struggle with that because they've been so like scolded and so it's very hard for me to teach them that like actually self kindness is more helpful for the type of memory that I'm teaching than anything else you have to have this internal monologue that's really 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 positive in order to do any of the memory stuff because the memory the memory techniques are so wacky and kooky and crazy especially when you're first learning them you have to like have this internal model of like this is gonna work out this is gonna like it does pay off in the end like I don't know anyone who naturally remembers like a hundred digits in 30 seconds because you it requires a lot of patience and actually like rooted in science self kindness is better for like reaching those types of goals than to always be Negative and hard on yourself.
1: Give me an example. Like suppose I'm trying to memorize like first in from like the low jack, and I'm trying to memorize like the the suited hands that I raise with. And let's say I'm looking at like king five suited. Let's say I, I want to memorize that the worst suited king I open in this position, at, like this stacked up, is king five suited. So I wouldn't open king four suited uh-huh. if I was like trying to play like GTO ranges, maybe because I'm at a really tough table or just. Just to know what the baseline is. Uh-huh. And I want to memorize that.
0: Either that each card has an image that you've already pre-prepared. So like King would be maybe your partner and like five would be somebody like the Jackson 5. I don't know. Like something that so you know them already and then you combine them in a creative way so that you remember it better. Because if it's visual or it's a funny story, let's say in whatever position you are in that it's it's not so good to play this hand then maybe you can imagine them in this position as like a very negative thing and like you can make up a story around that. Your partner meets the Jackson 5 and it's not a good interaction or whatever it is. So when you make it visual like that or story-based, your brain is going to remember it like a thousand times better than if you try to just like sit there like a machine saying like, King hey, 5 suited, blah, 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 you know. It's hard to explain succinctly even though I, I try, but there, there's a, just doing it creatively is very way better than just getting immediate feedback from a trainer
1: i completely agree but there are so many freaking data points Mm. when it comes to now cash games there's a lot fewer because the stack sizes are you know going to be there's a lot of things that make deep stack cash more complex but in Mm -hmm. terms of memorizing opening ranges it's Mm -hmm. definitely less complex you don't have all the different stack sizes and ICM factors and well those are the two main ones the fact that the stack sizes are constantly changing and that there's a lot of asymmetric stacks meaning that there are people who have different stacks than you which changes your ranges and means that it's always going to be a little bit of wiggle room right Mm -hmm. so you literally can't possibly memorize everything
0: Especially for nine-handed, I think it's really hard. I think when I was getting coached in the beginning, the focus was very much on heads-up because I think if you catch like the long tail of anything, it's going to be easier to apply to everything. Yeah. So if you have like a very very niche understanding, like how do you play heads-up no-limit, like how do you, what are the ranges there? I feel like it's easier to go from like that extremely specific niche to apply it generally than to try to remember from every single position. As to, like, how to memorize the stack size and, like, like ICM considerations, etc. like, I haven't been in the space, the headspace enough to, like, find a, an elegant solution. But, like, like, my first TV show, I memorized, like, 2,000-plus random... They took, like, historic imagery and then kind of mixed it into, like, some art piece. And they basically all look the same. But then after you look at them for a while, like, they didn't look the same. And it was, like okay, you have like 30 minutes to memorize all these 2,000 things. And I did well, and I won the challenge, et cetera. And so I feel like when you're in that mindset of like, memorize 2,000 random images in 30 minutes, like I feel like it's a little easier to have the confidence to say like, I can memorize 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000, I don't know, preflop chart things, specific numbers, percentages, et cetera.
1: A lot of those simulations are based on such specific things yeah. like, and a certain race size and symmetric stacks mm-hmm. so I feel like you are kind of like memorizing a placeholder in a way mm-hmm. you're not actually memorizing a fact because the reality that you're going to find yourself in is going to be a tiny bit different yeah. so those edge hands might disappear or another one might be added mm-hmm. so it's like you're kind of by nature memorizing something that's fuzzy in poker which mm-hmm. I think makes it a little interesting mm-hmm. with these like MTT ranges I was curious about your thoughts on my new technique for memorizing poker stuff Mm. is which I'm taking a lot of the edge hands that come up a lot. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned King Five, my partner dancing to Jackson Five, Mm, right? So like like Daniel, who's like, you know, rocking out, jumping up and down to like ABC song or maybe my son. And just actually not memorizing it for one specific scenario, but actually kind of like coming up with all the interesting use cases of that hand. Like all the cases where like that hand is like a close spot so really like taking each hand and kind of like building like almost like a personality portfolio for it
0: interesting yeah yeah there's there's a lot of ways i would go with it i would say for people who want to try it out like experiment with something called the memory palace that's another way to memorize a lot of information that needs to be ordered there's so many ways you could do it. it it's very hard it's kind of like how do you how do you make an omelet like how an information best stored in our brain it's very hard to say i I do think it's an interesting approach to have each hand be kind of its own thing and then build it out from there but then it gets gnarly like right now i'm trying to rebuild a database at my job and it's very hard to think about is it better to always go from stack size to like, what do you know first? Okay, first you know your stack size, then you know your position, then you know, et cetera. Like, is it better to start from the position and then try to build out like all these images and stories? Or is it better to go from the hand to yeah. and then apply the stack size? It's very hard and I don't know the answer to that yet. Once you're set in your ways, it's very hard to like kind of backtrack it. So I wanna build it out to be like as nice as possible. I'm gonna look at a few charts and then see how long it takes me to memorize them and then how long it takes me to recall them by kind of splitting it out into different techniques. Some things are really, really easy to memorize and really hard to recall, and some things are really hard to memorize and really easy to recall. And what is that? What's that distinction mean? Taking in information and then the act of remembering that information are like very different things, at least in my mind, having done this for so long. In memory competitions, what we get is, let's say, 52 shuffled decks, or 52 shuffled cards in a deck and it's like memorize it as fast as possible, right? So you have the memorizing part, and you try to memorize it as fast as possible. I think the current world record is like 13 seconds. what's your record? Uh, In competition, it's 22 (laughs) seconds for a shuffle deck of cards. It's really hard to like recreate things you do in training. I usually perform better in competition than I do in training actually, but for the cards, I just, so much is at stake. Like you might be between like silver and gold and then everything comes down to cards and then you wanna do like a safe time. So the safe time I did uh, the last time uh, I did twenty
1: two seconds. That makes sense. So you want to make sure that you have it memorized rather than being aggressive and actually like missing
0: a card. Yeah, or, uh, uh, that's interesting. Because if you miss a card, then like the points, then however fast you did it does not matter. It just doesn't count. Yeah, ah, it just doesn't that's count. interesting. So like there's a lot of like the meta game of the yeah, game, right? So strategy, like the world yeah. record is like something like twelve point ninety seven seconds, if I recall correctly. Mine is twenty two oh seven, something like that. Anyway, so there's a part where you are memorizing the cards and that's the memorizing part you're taking in the information and then there's like maybe a bit of a break online competitions are way faster then you're thrown into the recall part now you have to take an ordered deck of cards and recreate what you just memorized so you have like 22 seconds or 13 seconds or however many seconds you it takes you look at the cards and now you have to recreate it exactly as is in order and that's like the recall part and so even in everyday life I try to make a distinction because sometimes you'll memorize really fast and it'll feel so natural to you and when it comes to recreating that memory there's nothing there and then sometimes it'll take you like a little longer and then recreating it is easier and it's, it's really interesting because sometimes when you memorize it really fast you have like a higher accuracy rate for recalling it And sometimes you have if you do it really slowly you have a lower accuracy rate for recalling it because you're thinking about all these other things so it's really hard to like hit that perfect balance of memorizing it in exactly the right tempo and so that's the distinction i make is like what is like let's say i take your strategy of going from the hand first and then attributing like stack size or position etc to it or I try something else where it's like I start with the position I'm in and then from there I build out a, an idea of like what to do with each hand. And I want to see like how long does it take for me to memorize this preflop chart versus that preflop chart and I want to see consistently over maybe two weeks like what is what comes to mind easier but also what takes less time to memorize. So you, I have to make both of those considerations because some things are really interesting to take in as information in the first place but then if you're asked to recall it it's going to be really hard.
1: But isn't it true that if you can't recall it, you didn't really memorize it?
0: You can't have really memorized it. I really think it's like what we do in memory competitions and teaching memory techniques is we're just training the ability to recall more as well as train the ability to memorize. I think we're fairly good at trying to take in information, but we're not, we're not a very reflective society where we finish a book and then we give it four days of like thinking about what we read in the book. We're really good at consuming the book and like inhaling it, but we're not very good at like, huh, what were my actual takeaways from that book? So with memory techniques and memory competitions, I think it's like more of, it doesn't mean it doesn't stay with you just because you can't recall it, but you you need to practice that muscle of recall. So it's also about
1: recalling it quickly. Yeah. The ability to recall it in an effective and speedy way. Yeah. So you might have memorized it, but if it takes you like too long to retrieve when you're at the poker table then it's useless because you can't actually execute you know what you learn exactly
0: so that makes a lot of sense so then like when i was talking to those pros a lot of the idea was like at first when you're sitting there you're going to know your stack size then you're going to know your position then you're going to know you know and so it's kind of like what approach is better for being able to do something really fast when the stars app is like yelling at you to make a decision fast so i think that's that's something to consider, especially because when they were asking for my help, a lot of it was like, how do I make this decision in like less than three seconds? Yeah, something
1: for like sure. That. Well, they need yeah. to for the online game, yeah. for sure. And a lot of people have, you know, a lot of people really struggle with that. And that's why I know that chess is different than poker, because chess, of course, memory is hard in chess as well. Mm-hmm. But just the amount of data points that people would need to learn for like MTTs is so vast that even very, very high stakes pros will struggle with Mm -hmm. being able to memorize all of the different data points. And like I said before, of course, some of them don't think it's even that important. Yeah. Because if you focus too much on that, obviously you need to know the baseline. Yeah. But if you're so obsessed with the granular, you might miss that somebody has like such a short stack that that it's not relevant in this position or you might miss that somebody's like opening too wide so you need to like tailor it anyway of course you need to learn gto everybody agrees with that now Mm. no they they used to not even agree with that (laughs) so of course you need to learn the baseline and the theoretical but there is like that idea that if you're super super granular about it Mm -hmm. you might miss something that's more important oh yeah for sure
0: especially live i feel like it's very hard to only do that I think the idea with like catching the long tail instead of like the middle and trying to learn all these charts for mtt's and like nine-handed poker to focus on heads up is that I think the idea is very similar to what Josh Waitzkin talks about about numbers leaving numbers so there's a point with information where it kind of gets and there's an energetic feel to it and maybe you feel this with chess maybe you don't like at least for me the longer I do memory if I see like 659, it immediately has an attachment and a feel to it for me. And in the same way, I think if you start with like very specifically focusing on heads up charts, for example, most situations, hopefully if you're playing a good table, m- most hands will probably be that most people fold. So then realistically, statistically, you're probably playing one person. And then you can kind of apply that knowledge that you have for heads up games, the preflop charts or whatever charts you have. and then. From there, like let's say you know it, like from five big blinds to like twenty-five, you know every single thing to do. Let's say preflop, you know every single thing to do, and you've memorized all of that for just heads up. Now, let's say another player comes in, you have to adjust your game. But I feel like there's a point where, like, you play enough that you can kind of adjust it based on that stringent niche information you have, instead of like spreading yourself too thin and remembering everything about like every position to just focus on that and then kind of subconsciously you have like an energy to what happens if it's three-handed instead of heads up
1: that's hard though that's hard because it's so different is it but I, i see what you're saying and just in that if you do get heads up there's so much money at stake and also it's just like such a such a complex solution because there's so many hands being played that it's very very valuable but i think trying to extrapolate would be difficult yeah just because the ranges tighten up so yeah. much and that's why blind versus blind play can be very difficult for people like in your hand with playing the a3 offsuit well you would have folded pre-flop oh for sure but some yeah. people will play a hundred percent of hands yeah. for the big blind against minraise mm. and then you're just sitting there playing every single hand yeah when normally you're never playing with a3 yeah. a3 suited a3 offsuit yeah. I think that, you know, that's why some of them are coming to you for help because of course they don't expect to memorize every single data point, but they feel like they're getting it wrong too much Mm. and that creates anxiety, especially now that all the answers are out there. It's like frustrating. I just looked at something similar to this last week, but really there's like thousands of data points. So looking at that something similar, it's easy for it to like escape you. Yeah.
0: I guess there's two things to this once you've done enough memory and like memorizing 6,000 binary digits just like ones and zeros in 30 minutes when that's not intimidating it's a little easier to like take on the challenge of either learning it yourself or coaching somebody to memorize uh, thousands of data points but i also think um there's something to be said about once you improve your general memory it's sort of like going to the gym like going to the gym probably makes you better at most sports you know might make you worse at certain very niche sports but if your general physical health is pretty good, it's going to be applicable yes, to any sport you do. I agree. So in the same way, if you improve your memory, even if it's not specifically for pre charts or whatever it is, or raised first in, like it, that's gonna affect how good your brain is at again memorizing and recall, and like what you what do you do in that time between the two, etc. Yeah, and
1: like having less anxiety about your own memory like what we were yeah. talking about with sleep
0: mm-hmm.
1: now what you are a champion in you mentioned that you're re- obviously you're good at every memory task but that i know that you're oh no
0: a- i have i have a few achilles heels for sure <laughs> i know that
1: they're memorizing the card deck is like not your specialty you're totally slouching at 22 seconds i know i know oh but that's what God. it feels
0: like I'm but like- your
1: specialty is the names and faces right
0: So my world records were in names and faces, so like 212 names and faces in 15 minutes. And then images, I think it was more than 450 images, like random images in five minutes. And then words, 145 words in five minutes. You can memorize that, reach out to me, you can probably learn to do memory better than me. But yeah, so it's names, images, and words. Yeah, those are the ones I remember getting (laughs) world records in. So you must hate the cliche
1: when people say oh I can't remember a name but I can always remember a face because yeah. of course for you you're able to match those quickly and what do you think people are doing wrong like just constantly forgetting people's names even in ways that can sometimes be embarrassing like <laughs> if you met somebody like six times and it's yeah. like what's up
0: I think when people say, like, oh, I'm really good with faces, but I'm not good with names, I usually try to explain that there's a difference between recall and recognition, too. So when you recognize somebody's face, it's just a matter of have I seen this before or not. But when you're remembering somebody's name, again, it's about reproducing facts. Like, you have to reproduce that fact of their name, right? Nine out of ten people will say, like, oh, I'm really good with faces, but not with names. I'm like, yeah, because everybody's way better at recognizing if they've seen information before. Not everyone is good at, like, being able to recall and retrieve that information. Uh, That's a great distinction. You actually gave me that distinction
1: when I was trying to uh, memorize a deck of cards. I wasn't trying to memorize a deck of cards. I was doing a simpler task, Uh which was I was trying to fan out the deck. Uh, and then find what the last card was. Uh, and yeah. you told me you were like, "Well, that's not really memorization; that's recognition." Yeah, yeah. Because it it's is. like you're you're kind of like recognizing the one card that hasn't appeared yet. Yeah. And you could use a memory task to find that, or you could use something probably a little simpler, probably that's simpler, because me.
0: recognition is so much easier than recalling. They've done lots of studies like this where you can be exposed to like a thousand images one second at a time per image, and then you can get like a shuffled set of a thousand images and your brain will know which one you've seen and you haven't. Because our skill of recognition is so fast that we can say, I've seen this, I haven't seen this, I've seen this, I haven't seen this, but now ask somebody to memorize a thousand images one image at a second, that's not gonna be, no one's gonna be able to do that. It's it's really hard to recall all of those one thousand images. Why do people conflate the two? I think, again, like, we think of memory as like this big blob of just like, my memory is bad. It's very vague. (laughs) Like, you're probably really good at some things. Like, when I was 16, I was really good at remembering information about soccer players. Like, who knows why that was? Maybe it was hormones. Who knows? And so like, once I started incorporating like soccer player information into like how I did math skills, et cetera, suddenly it has like all this meaning to me. And like, I can figure out statistics and I can like do sports betting. When it has meaning, it's so much easier. And I just think generally we just say like, my memory's bad. And we just think of like a thousand things that in my mind are very different. like. Recall, recognition, memorizing, all these things are very, very, very different. Short-term, medium, long-term memory.
1: Interesting. Yeah, so people are basically putting something under a tent that they're bad at, whereas really there's like these things that they should be breaking it up into. You know, I think that's really fascinating because that's kind of like poker too. Mm -hmm. That People might say like, oh, I'm just not very good at chess or not very good at poker. I'm not good at value betting or I'm not good at bluffing or
0: Yeah, that's that's a different conversation, you know. Yeah. And same with the people who came to me for memory advice when it comes to poker it's like Tell me what the real issue is. Is the issue really like the preflop, or is it raise first in or whatever it is? Like, I feel like once you get more granular, it's easier to help people. Probably not the raise first in. <laughs> I mean, that is
1: kind of like the simplest. In fact, a yeah. lot of poker sites have terms of service that say like the one type of chart you're allowed to use oh, is interesting. a static raise first in oh, chart.
0: Interesting, yeah. Because
1: it's a limited amount of information so it's mm. not really seen as cheating because you can just like it's so easy to is just, it like, cheating if you it? just
0: remember the charts and you play exactly
1: like the chart god no no that's <laughs> skill that's why people are coming to you that is why people are coming to you because the terms of service in the recent years have changed mm. because you know they don't want people to like have like all these dynamic charts that mm. allow you to play perfectly which means that now people who have better memories and are able to improve their memories mm. have a huge edge mm. yeah <laughs> Because you're not allowed to, you know, just, like, use charts. Yeah. You're not allowed to. So now That's you have right. to, like, you have to figure out how to chunk the information and extract the most valuable parts. But the raise first and not saying that people don't mess it up. I mean, we've, we've certainly yeah. all, like, forgotten or, you know, misapplied. But it is usually a little bit easier.
0: Do you want to know the stupidest thing that's happened with memory like one of the dumbest things that's happened when you get really good at memory is i remember like long lists of numbers and names even when i don't want to just because my memory is like that good it's sort of like reading once you get really used to it it's sort of like just you're taking in information like if you if you're exposed to ads walking around new york yeah. you're reading the ads whether you want to or not uh-huh. because your brain's just yeah. doing this automatic process so with certain things like especially when it, i was in the beginning of my memory competition career i started like really taking in facts and numbers, whether I wanted to or not, and also whether I made like a creative connection or not, because I was really into numbers at the, at the time. You no, know who I was getting into memory? My brother. Oh, really? My brother, Greg Shahadi, yeah, he actually wrote a blog
1: about how he's trying to like memorize a bunch of trivia because he was part of this oh, trivia yeah, competition, yeah. Learn League, and maybe he'll try out for Jeopardy one day, but... He's using oh, the
0: Jeopardy contestants are so good at memory. Yeah, they all use the same techniques we use, for sure. He's definitely
1: using um, flashcards mm. and spaced repetition. That, of course, is very popular in chess as well. As, you spaced, know, repetition. Yeah, spaced repetition? Yes, spaced repetition has become a big... Uh, mm. as a lot of language apps use it. I yeah. mean, even, like, my WhatsApp, like, my password. Is they, using like, spaced
0: repetition? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say it's generally good, but it's also really hard for the apps to know what kind of information we need exposure to all the time so like if i'm learning norwegian like i already speak swedish like i don't need to be exposed to this little flashcard as often as i would need if i was learning arabic so it's really hard for the algorithms to figure out like the good repetition schedule but generally it's better than just like tra- trying to learn something automatically i would say for greg or for anyone learning the biggest thing is really practicing that m- muscle of recall so i say this to my students all the time they've done lots of studies where it's like read this text four times, or and then another group gets to read the text one time and then really think about what they read and try to recall it and kind of recreate whatever they read. And most of the time, like by a landslide, the people who read something once and then really think about it do better than the people who read something four times with no reflection. Yeah, it sounds like he's doing
1: really well with his system, with the based repetition and he hasn't yet hit a plateau.
0: Yeah, I also want to do Jeopardy at some point. So I don't know if I can help him yet. It would be fun if we went on Jeopardy at the same time with the same techniques. Oh my! Well, it seems
1: like isn't spaced repetition like very different from creative memory? To me, it seems like spaced repetition is more of like a interval training at the gym or something. Yeah. And creative memory is more like. A dance competition it's like they, they yeah. seem so different but i
0: think with creative memory it's just you can apply all the techniques like it's sort of like learning to sing on cue and le- learning to say hit your notes and learning to read a sheet of paper there's so many aspects to memory so i think if you can combine spaced repetition and sleeping enough and all this stuff and creative memory that's probably ideal
1: and what i love that you've talked to me about before and which is like so important to my work with girls and women and you know all marginalized communities and everyone really is this idea that focus is so important that deep work is so important like mm-hmm. you say everyone can do creative memory that it's not even that hard but then you also say but you better be a hundred percent focused
0: oh did i say that
1: in one of your youtube videos yeah oh, you're no. talking about how like so easy it's so easy to memorize it's very simple but it's not easy
0: i would say that's the thing is today i don't feel like people have good focus and that's like one of the biggest things about memory is attention like it's really hard to remember something you didn't pay attention to and that goes back to like the whole i don't remember people's names usually it's because you're so distracted by like all trying to take in so much information about the person like how's their handshake do they have beautiful eyes like what's up with their clothing do i like how they smell like you're processing so much information that most likely your main issue when you don't remember somebody's name is that you didn't hear it in the first place. So it's really hard to remember something where you weren't memorizing it correctly in the first place, like you weren't paying attention. The techniques are very simple, but it's really, it's not easy to incorporate in your day-to-day life, especially with phones and like phones that specifically make you addicted to looking at it and kind of have this frenetic attention, this frenetic way of consuming information. And We don't, we're in a society where we sleep like 20% less than we did like a couple of decades ago and yeah, there's so many things about modern life that make attention really hard. So even though it's very simple, like the techniques are so simple. Like I know it because I've, I've coached a lot of people who are way better than me now. It's not hard because their memories were terrible before and now their memories are good at doing the specific things that memory techniques help with. And overall memory has improved, but it's really hard to do in our society to pay attention truly i think
1: it really is and maybe that's the lesson also that like memory is valuable also in that it teaches you the importance of attention.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's a re- it's really, 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 like the first step to memory is like you do have to pay attention. It's very hard to remember stuff you were not paying attention to in the first place. Like the thing about, oh, I forgot her name. Well, I, I think you were thinking about 20 other things instead of her name. Yeah, well, that was definitely the case probably in that Zoom call. <laughs> oh, yeah. There were so many things happening at that Zoom call for sure. <laughs> at least live poker felt for me more like, it felt more like a dance of feeling the rhythm of the other person more than it felt playing online, where online it was way more like what is happening right now in terms of like the math
1: behind it. I think you would love playing the co-ed tournaments, which sadly is would be like 80 to 90% men. That's fine. Um, because I think that... Memory used to only be men before I
0: showed up, so... Or mostly
1: men. Yeah, you're used to it. And also I think it would rile you up because you're oh, yeah. so sensitive mm. to the idiosyncrasies of other people and oh, yeah. men just really give away that they don't think we're very smart mm. even if you're a memory champion even if you're a chess champion an mm-hmm. author like me they think it's like yeah but she's a woman still oh, yeah. and they give it away with like just the little things that they do mm. and if you're really sensitive to that
0: it piss you I off very sensitive yeah, to like, yeah, yeah. it feels way more like animalistic in a way to play live and i feel like that suits me <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, totally suits you. And because you're writing notes, you won't be bored. And since you know how to focus, mm. I think it'll be really valuable for you.
0: Mm. I, I want to be it. more focused. It's so hard. And I think if I don't get to compete, I start like getting competitive about everything. So it's like, oh, who's better at doing dishes? Who's good at like running and like all this arbitrary stuff. So it's like I feel like poker would be a very good time to be very competitive. That's a great point. I think that's probably one
1: of the reasons why we, sports and, you know, chess and all these activities for children are so valuable, right? Because we're giving them the space to, like, be competitive so that maybe they are less competitive in their regular lives.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I actually, I said this to a a male friend of mine. I was experiencing some things with, like, American women in particular where it, it was this thing of, and this is what I was talking about, like, that I've been socialized to, like, kind of make myself smaller to not seem threatening to anyone. This whole very dramatic thing happened with a bunch of American women and and I, and I said to my friend, like, one of my best friends, like, I think if women had more avenues to be competitive in an actually consensual competitive environment, they would be less competitive in situations where there's nothing to gain from being competitive. I love that. I mean, poker power, I would like that too. Yeah. I think it's I so think true. You That's just get it more... out of your system and then just be, like, uplifting in all other areas. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I felt that with men in memory too, when I surpassed them is that because they couldn't win in the competition, they started trying to find other ways to be better than me. So, like, if it was better than, at social media or better at da-da-da. Like, I think we just need healthier ways to deal with, like, our competitive nature and not deny it if we are competitive people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and then it also, like, try to be competitive with yourself. I feel like, like, that's such an important
0: one. With memory and with poker, I would say, like, try like trial by fire and then course correct as you go and like give yourself a lot of. because I feel like people same with GTO like if you have an over-reliance on memorizing it's going to make things trickier when it comes to things that are more dynamic in nature and same with GTO versus live so
1: yeah maybe that's another way to kind of like think about the 80 80, 20 that it's like really good to have a foundation of memory in these Mm, things But not for that to be like the only thing that you study, yeah. because then you're over reliant on it and not able to be flexible, which is particularly important in poker. Mm. Like that flexibility and ability to deviate yes. is so important because it's so much like life. It's not about getting an A on a test. Yes, like oh, good job! You raised the right mm-hmm. combos. Like nobody's giving you like gold stars. And this
0: is the hardest thing about coaching uh girls, at least for me emotionally, it's really hard in especially very misogynistic societies to try to explain like you are so conditioned to want to have the gold star or the A. Yeah. And real life doesn't work like that, baby. <laughs> That's a very I try I really really try to give like kind of li- somewhat life coaching as well to the girls. And what's really hard for them is like they never they can never get over the fact that you might be flying you you might be the best law student, it won't make you the most successful lawyer. Like you might be the best med school student, it won't make you the most successful surgeon. Like you might be the best at business school, it doesn't mean you're gonna be closing the most deals. And I think that one is really hard because a lot of the girls who come to me, I think they're over relying on like, I'm gonna have the good grades and I'm gonna have everything to prove that I deserve it instead of just going out and taking it. Do you see what I'm saying?
1: I suffered from that, and you helped me realize that as well, actually.
0: Yeah, and you did so good. I was, like, bragging to everyone, right?
1: I do a lot of amazing things, but I'm also kind of, sometimes I'm expecting people to see that, whereas Mm -hmm. really what you need to do is go out and demand your worth. Yeah, not just be like, oh, look at my amazing portfolio of things that I do, and like let me wait for people to come and like, you know. And
0: come to me and realize that I'm great, but like sometimes you just gotta be like, I'm fucking awesome, and like if you can't tell, then like maybe this business deal is not for you, you know, and it's very, it's especially for younger girls, I find it really tricky to try to explain to them like, you can memorize all the chess openings in the world, you can memorize everything at home, but when you get to a competition, going to be different and you just have to learn to like put pressure where in like a more animalistic way than just relying on memory and i think that one is really hard you need to do the homework you need to know the moves you need to know everything else but like you 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 also have to have this kind of understand that like the world is more complicated than the systematized ways that we calculate things and memorize things
1: and i think that ties into your point about sleep because it's all about performance Mm -hmm. it's not just about knowledge it's about performance and Mm -hmm. understanding that like you don't just go there and have a list of things that you've worked on and then do well. <laughs> yeah, that you actually have to be pumped up and perform and yeah. focus. Mm-hmm. All genders, like that, is unbelievably important. God, it's so great that you do life coaching with these girls. As I mean, well.
0: I, it's not. I don't say like I'm doing life coaching, but like once I notice that they're like they're trying. Like one thing that really bothers me is all these language apps. People will mem- memorize like five thousand words. In a vacuum without like speaking Spanish they will learn Uh Spanish words and that's great but if you can't like conjure up a sentence to explain to express yourself it ultimately means nothing so in the same way you can memorize all the openings in the world but if you can't play the middle game or end game properly it does not really matter so in this I that one is really hard for me because it's at least hard to get through to people is like, you might be really good. Your, your streak on Duolingo might be really high, but can you say a few facts about yourself without stumbling? It's like it's like implicit versus explicit memory. Like you, there's this guy who won the Scrabble Championship in French, even though he doesn't speak French, because he just learned all of the words that he needed to know to win the championship. I'm like, what's that worth? Like for him, obviously it was worth a lot, enough for him to memorize like 10,000 French words or something like that. But like in the context of competition or in real life, will you need to know all these laws? Will you need to actually have an A in XYZ subject? Will you actually need to memorize every single opening? Or do you need to be better at playing more dynamically and animalistically? And there's one
1: idea that I think comes up in poker and chess Mm -hmm. that... Is a little weird because does it fall under the umbrella of memory pattern recognition? Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you yes, yes, immediately, <laughs> that
0: yeah, no, no, because like with, with coding, everybody's like, Oh, it's very hard to get a coding job nowadays, etc. Um, because there's just so much pattern recognition, but so much of memory is also about recognition, like it, recognition is a part of memory, and so I think whether you can again, whether you can explicitly say it or explicitly conjure up. That specific piece of fact, there's still something about that like rhythm that it's it's very hard to explain in words. Again, like it's it's sort of like pattern recognition is about being exposed to so much information that kind of you can either recognize it consciously or subconsciously and kind of feel what you want to do in that second.
1: One of my early coaches, Victor Frias, looked at my games and said, "You need to look at more chess games because a lot of what I did as an up and coming junior, yeah, I did a lot of like." disconnected chess puzzles end games openings i was trying to like study chess in a way where i would like carve out all the different parts yeah like i was you know, instead trying to of that a- flow
0: that we're talking yes. about the like the intuitive yeah. flow yeah
1: yeah, and like, like almost like I was trying to become a good cook by like learning how to make a dessert. And, and be
0: getting really good at cutting and then getting really good at boiling and like, yeah. you know, instead of just like, how many meals can you make, you know?
1: Yeah, and that was fascinating to me because it was true. Like, I didn't look at a lot of full games because I thought it was kind of like a waste of time because to me it was like, it was so goalless, mm. whereas like everything I was doing was so goal oriented, mm. like get better at puzzles, get better at end games, get better at openings. And the fact that he was able to recognize that just by looking at my games? Yeah, that's So fascinating.
0: There must have been some aspect of it that he recognized with his pattern recognition as like disjointed in some way, you know, that it wasn't. And in the same way with language learning, it's like, if you learn it grammatically, like these are the grammatical rules to say, and then you learn to put in other words after I spoke, like if you learn it in that mechanical way, it also shows up when you try to speak the language. I noticed this behavior of wanting immediate feedback on performance and I think that's why people love these language learning apps etc and chess apps because if you're doing a trainer and you're only doing like chess openings then you're like oh okay well I did that right great moving on next nice chess opening but in real life it's not going to happen like that because the game continues and in the same way I think people like over rely on these apps and over rely on like just flashcards, because it's easier to just be like, I know this piece of information. Let's check if I know this piece of information. I do. And then the app tells you that you do. But then can you apply that to real life? It becomes like a completely different story. I just know so many people are so good at certain things theoretically. And then it's like, say your first and last name in this language and also say what your wishes are for the evening. And then it's like, it just completely falls apart, even though they have like a three-year
1: streak. Oh, yeah. It's funny how we keep kind of coming back to that idea of like working on things that you're good
0: at but then also working on things that you're bad at. I think it's really hard because I try to teach my memory students these memory techniques, but I also try to explain that like, the way it'll show up in real life will be very different, and you can't over-rely on just memorizing a bunch of facts and thinking that it's going like, to get you to being able to problem-solve in real life, whether that's a competition or in the corporate world or whatever. So speaking of diversity, I know it's really important
1: to you to like, make fields more diverse, and you and I have something in common and that we were both Blocked by Lex Friedman, <laughs> who's getting more into jazz and more into poker. Oh, but I can't see any of his tweets. People are constantly like retweeting him. Like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Lex's podcast. I with think me. they have a few mutual Lex friends. Lex's podcast with Magnus. Yeah, <laughs> Lex yeah.
0: is podcast with the Sisters. Yeah, I and, I frequently see like this is such a good take, and then there's just like no content. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like I guess it's our mutual friend Lex Friedman. Because I haven't blocked that many people. People are generally nice. He blocked us because we both
1: gave a similar comment about he had like a list of books that he, he was like what are really
0: important books to read and yes. it was only i think it was mostly white men yeah white male like authors. 19
1: out of 20 were men and
0: yeah no not, no i think all of them were men because yeah, i really reckon i don't think that there was a single woman on his list yeah, yeah.
1: maybe or maybe one was like co-authored by a woman I can't remember but yeah, yeah something something that was like we mm-hmm. were like
0: we were both like yeah maybe
1: here are some books you could read by women yeah and we got the block for that I know I mean
0: like I've, I've I have never bought someone for so little I personally if somebody was like recognized something that I did like that and like let's say I only recommended Mongolian authors and somebody's like what do what if you diversify your reading list with some Russian authors or whatever I don't feel like I would be so upset that I would block them <laughs> I don't know I just thought it was funny the thing that frustrates me about that recommendation is that so many women do so many wonderful things and then men get credit for it and so in the book deep work and a lot of books about high high performance and learning there will be examples of really mediocre white men in memory and it'll be like such and such can memorize a deck of cards in 2 minutes and i'm like what about the indian 9 year old who can memorize it in 18 seconds like you could not interview her it was impossible to find her amongst her 60,000 followers like it's just lazy, it's, and I found Lex's like reading list very lazy as well. To think that all of the world's information can be filtered—not not that that was what he was implying—but you can't take information just from one specific worldview or one specific world experience, you know. And I, I always when I, people come to me and like, I read about this guy. You must know him, and he he can memorize 50 faces in two hours and I'm like what is this this is not even you know so it's also lazy on the part of the authors that he might have been mentioning to not find the best chess player or the best memory person it's, it's annoying because it's, it's the same with like Kaepernick I, I love Colin Kaepernick I think what he did was admirable but at the same time the WNBA did lots of similar things but never got the same credit or national exposure for the longest time and that's frustrating
1: when you're in a field like chess or poker or you know podcasting where there's so many so many of the most talented people don't see that Mm. it can be very frustrating because you're just constantly like walking around yeah i'm just like 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 screaming into the void
0: yeah that's what it feels like it's (laughs) just like there's so many like i've had so many times when somebody's like oh who do we hire for this and the short list is like five like hedge fund managers who are men and i'm like what about such and such she'd close this deal and there is always like a little bit of pushback especially when people feel personally attacked but then it's like hmm i thought about it she is actually more accredited than the other five and it's like yeah why didn't she make your short list for every time
1: you get the block Mm. you might even get ignored but then people will like kind of think about what you said later and maybe integrate it yeah and so like i think those wins are worth celebrating and it's just like yeah keep fighting the good fight
0: i think i've had a lot of there's a lot of pushback between, in, between me and men in memory because I've been so adamant about explaining how my experience has been completely different. And I think in the past two years, at least some of them have come to understand that it was a completely different competition for me. Being sometimes the only person of color in the room, sometimes the only woman in the room, and also being able to speak a bunch of languages, it's hard to hear like all the gossip from everyone. Basically, like I feel like in the, in the past few years since I stopped doing memory, I feel like there some of them have gotten better about realizing that they that there is a lot of room for improvement when it comes to diverse, diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I think most of them are just like, well, uh, well, I have friends who are women and I'm dating a woman, so I can't be misogynistic or like I have one black friend and that means I can't be racist. And it's like, no, because it creates a disadvantage, especially in memory, if you are a white man and you're organizing a competition and all of the names and faces you've chosen are European and white, that's going to be a disadvantage to somebody who's flying in from like South Korea. You know, there there's gonna be way more face blindness. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of that where I was like, hey, this was weird, and a lot of other dramatic shit. But you won anyway. That was
1: your that was your win.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, no, so, yeah, yeah. I the, the thing is, like, I was good enough to just be really good, no matter the really unfair circumstances, but it was just like, they had no ability to take the feedback of like, hey, have you noticed that, like, all of your speakers are men? Or like, have you noticed that all of these authors are men? Or have you noticed that you only use men in your example, in your memory book, even though women are way better at this specific thing that you're even talking about in this chapter, you know? Yeah, no,
1: defensiveness is a common strategy when you pe- when you point these things out, because of course it's easier to... Think that the person bringing it up is wrong than to think that you've been, you know, blind to these things for so long. But I think there is often a lot of growth, especially like after reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this comment about sensitivity is like so annoying because I feel like sensitivity is such a gift. When people give you that insight into their sensitivity, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to be as sensitive as them. It just mm-hmm. means they're letting you into their crazy minds.
0: Mm-hmm there are, are no things. female authors I'm
1: noticing all <laughs> these things I know that's like such an incredibly sensitive thing to say no it's not yeah. it's not but when there's when there's something you don't notice and they're telling you it it's like that's a good thing
0: yeah 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 yeah. Like, yeah. it doesn't I mean, mean
1: you have to think exactly like them we don't expect that no, no no I
0: just wish like people were more open to that feedback of like did you notice this this creates an unsafe environment like Instead of it just being like, well, I know the guy and he is really like so nice to me. And I'm like, wow, it's almost as if people can be different people to different people. Like when there's more diversity in a space, I feel like it's easier to talk about it than if you're the only one. And in software engineering and memory and like all these rooms, it's very often I'm the only one. And it's much like screaming into the void and saying like, hey, I noticed this. Mm, Maybe that's not cool. And then... You know, if everybody else doesn't look like me or doesn't have the same experience, it's really hard to push back. But
1: Thank you for inspiring so many people. Yenja Windersall, he is a memory champion, a memory grandmaster. Thank you so much for joining us on the grid for 8-3 Offsuit.
0: Thank you so much, Jen.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Grid, sponsored by PokerStars. Please subscribe, review, and tell your friends about your favorite episode. Till next time, as we count down 169 hands.
0: No one ever bust. They say I'm lucky. Oh, no, no need to bluff. With all the cheap tricks up my sleeve. Yeah, I got talent. You won't see me, see me stunt.